Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And you can listen to any of our radio programs at kpcg.fm. That will give you the entire KPCG radio lineup. You can listen live. You can listen to all the archives of all the shows. And I would highly recommend checking that out. Well, today is the last day of Summer Educational Program 2021. God's young people in the Philadelphia Church of God have enjoyed three life-changing weeks of activities and instruction. They've learned the right way to live. They've learned a lot about what we actually teach. So what does God's work actually teach perhaps there can be some confusion at times if you've ever listened in to this station or watched the key of david television program with pastor general gerald flurry or read any of the publications or gone to any of the websites the trumpet.com primarily you've probably noticed a high emphasis on law keeping all the prophecies that are coming to pass these days have a direct relation to whether our peoples have kept the law and there's a punishment when we don't. So perhaps because of all this talk about law at times, the actual, the actual message of God's work can be distorted by critics but what do we actually teach is it a gospel of works where you actually earn salvation is that really what we teach or is that the false interpretation of it there's actually a fantastic short section from our free book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, that spells this out in a crystal clear manner. I just was blown away by reading this over the weekend. This is just pages 36 and 37, about one full page of writing. And of course, you can get this book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, for free at thetrumpet.com, written by the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong the predecessor to our work today. But he does dispel this notion that you can earn salvation. Yes, there is a lot of talk about the law. The law is important. It is a perfect spiritual law. There is cause and effect depending on whether we keep it or break it. And yet at the same time, that does not mean that we're teaching a gospel of works. That's not what it's about at all. 
it's important to make that distinction and to clarify that to anyone who might be confused. So Mr. Armstrong here in the United States and Britain in prophecy is separating the physical promises from the spiritual. He's talking about promises that are a right of birth or a birthright promise where simply by being born, you can inherit certain material physical blessings. This is certainly the case in America today, in all of the English-speaking peoples receiving blessings because of their patriarch Abraham and his obedience thousands of years ago. So because Abraham obeyed, all of us benefit. Just by being born, we're automatically blessed. You can look at that on the, the family level, just, just a small family. Any child born to millionaires is going to live a millionaire lifestyle just by virtue of being born into that family. They're going to grow up with wealthy parents in a nicer community. And perhaps there are some drawbacks to that as well. But that is just the environment that they were born into. And so that's what they experience. So for our nations, for America, for Britain primarily, the Jewish nation, many of the English-speaking peoples, we are blessed. Our average standard of living is so high because of one man's obedience. We automatically receive these blessings because of one man. However... There are also spiritual blessings. Now, spiritual blessings, you can't just be born into those and and keep them. There are conditions for receiving spiritual blessings. That's the distinction that Mr. Armstrong was making here in this section of the United States and Britain in Prophecy. Pages 36 and 37 under the subhead, grace requires conditions. Now, this is such a power-packed short section. I would really encourage you to go and take a look at this yourself. But we'll go through it here as well. Grace requires conditions. Mr. Armstrong writes, Most professing Christians and many teachings of what is called traditional Christianity say there are no conditions, nothing that we must do to receive God's glorious grace. They deny that God requires obedience to his law. They twist the truth around by saying that would be earning one's salvation. They do demand it of God while they still rebel against his law and refuse to keep it. So, Mr. Armstrong's talking about people who treat salvation and eternal life as a birthright, as in they have to do absolutely nothing to receive these blessings, as if God is just going to let anyone who does nothing (laughs) live forever somehow. Now, Mr. Armstrong thoroughly dismantles this 
wrong way of thinking. It's important for us to keep an open mind about this and understand what he's actually saying. He's very clear here. He's not going to either extreme. The one extreme is that you do whatever you want. You break the law as much as you want. You rebel as much as you want. And still, you can live forever. Then, of course, the other extreme is that you have to obey the law to earn salvation. And then it becomes a gospel of works. It, It becomes much more about what we do rather than about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to make all of it possible. So there are extremes. The truth, as is usually true, is somewhere in the middle. Mr. Armstrong continues, think where that would lead. Understand this. Eternal life is, indeed, God's free gift. You can't earn it. But it is not your right. You cannot demand it of God as your right while you defy God, rebel against his government, refuse to let him rule your life his way. Just try to think about that. Wouldn't that lead to another Satan situation if God just handed out eternal life to everyone? regardless of their willingness to actually live eternal life properly? Wouldn't he just be making immortal all kinds of rebels where they would cause destruction and division for all eternity while making themselves miserable? Why would God make those people live forever? Just think about that. It makes no sense. We already suffer from Satan and the demons and their rebellion and how they are eternally existing spirit beings and they cause havoc and they're going to continue to do so until they're locked up forever. But why would God want to turn us into miserable, wretched, perverted spirit beings like them why if we are physical and can die would he make us live forever as satanic rebels why would he add to satan's demon army by turning rebels into immortals Does that make any logical sense? Mr. Armstrong continues, therefore God has imposed conditions. Those conditions do not earn you a thing, but God does, but God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. We can look at that. Acts 5 verse 32 Now, perhaps you've never heard anything like this before. Maybe you've heard the two extremes where you can come as you are, do absolutely nothing, and somehow still be given eternal life. Or where the only thing that matters is your achievements and your law keeping 
and therefore Christ's sacrifice is diminished. Maybe you haven't heard the happy medium, the actual truth of the matter, but this is what we're talking about. And this is what God's work actually teaches. There's a balance between grace and law keeping between faith and works. And yet so many people fail to see this. Only God can make this understanding plain to us. Acts five verse 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy spirit whom God has given to them that obey him. Doesn't that sound like a condition to receiving the Holy Spirit, to having the power of God fill our minds, to allowing Christ to lead us through the Holy Spirit? If we want that power, that ability to think like God, to have a close relationship with God, to make godly decisions, to love like God, it sounds like there's some sort of a condition there. God gives that Holy Spirit to those who obey him. That automatically cancels out or eliminates from, <laughs> from uh, contention there. Plenty of professing Christians who teach that the law is done away. Those are people who don't obey. Therefore, they can't receive God's Holy Spirit. Another passage nearby here. This is Acts 2, verses 37 through 38. This is, this is after the Apostle Peter gave an outstanding sermon. And a lot of people wanted to know what comes next. They heard a powerful message. They wanted to know what they should do about it. There is an element here of action, taking action based on what we hear. Acts 2, verses 37 through 38. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these are the two specific conditions for receiving God's power, this Holy Spirit power that connects human minds with God's mind, that allows us to complete the transition from humans to actual spirit-born members of God's family. We have to have the Holy Spirit to enter the God family and the kingdom of God. And here we are given two conditions, two things we actually have to do to receive this gift. You see there, it's called a gift because God's not giving it to us as he's not paying it to us as our wages as what we have earned for our great works. No, he's giving it to us as a gift 
not because we earned it, but because we met two conditions. Repent, that means a 180 degree change in the way we think and do things. Going from Satan's way to God's way. And then being baptized. Full water immersion. Having the laying on of hands from God's ministers to pray over us. And then we receive God's Holy Spirit. We realize that our former life was wrong and causing suffering. And then we make that commitment of baptism to receive the Holy Spirit and go a different way. So repent and be baptized. Two conditions for receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which paves the way to salvation. Repent, be baptized. In other words, obedience and faith. So, Mr. Armstrong continues, he does not pay it. God does not pay the Holy Spirit, but the passage speaks of the Holy Spirit, which God has given to them that obey him. It is still a free gift. Now here, think about this example. Mr. Armstrong says a rich man might have seven men, seven men standing before him and say, I will give as my free gift $1,000 to any or all of you who will step forward and receive it. Their stepping forward does not earn it. It is merely the condition required to receive the free gift. Doesn't that make a little more sense when you think of more tangible examples does taking a step forward really earn you $1,000? Is taking a step forward, as in this example, really so strenuous that we earn as our pay $1,000? Of course not. This rich man wants to give $1,000 to anyone who will receive it. And all they have to do is indicate that they want to receive it. They have to meet the condition of stepping forward. Just like if we want to receive God's Holy Spirit, we have to make, meet the conditions by stepping forward, repenting, and being baptized. There's a direct physical spiritual parallel there. Mr. Armstrong writes, the word grace means unmerited, undeserved pardon it's not that we obey God so impressively that we earn salvation grace the word itself means that we don't deserve it God pardons those who repent Mr. Armstrong writes and repent means to turn from rebellion, hostility, disobedience. Repent means to turn to obedience to God's law. The fact that God chooses not to give this wonderful gift, the gift of immortality, which carries with it divine power to those who would misuse it for harm and evil. The fact that he chooses to give it only to those who will rightly use it does not mean it comes by works instead of grace. 
If there were no conditions, then everyone could demand it. And it would be received as a right by birth instead of by grace. Does that make sense? If people understood that all they had to do to live forever is just to scream and yell at God and say, God, you promised this to me. I hate you. I'll never obey you. But you better give me eternal life. Could you imagine if that's how it actually worked? Just above this section in the United States and Britain in prophecy, Mr. Armstrong gives that example. He talks about what what people might actually say to God to claim this blessing if all they had to do was say they wanted eternal life and not meet any conditions. Mr. Armstrong writes on page 35 of the United States and Britain in Prophecy, a rebellious, defiant, hostile, God-hating criminal or atheist could shake his fist at God and say, look, God, I hate you. I defy you. I refuse to obey you. But I demand your gift of eternal life. It's my right. I want to be born into your divine family to receive all the vast power of a son of God so I can use that power to oppose you. I want to make your family a house divided against itself. I will cause friction, hostility, hatred, unhappiness among all your children. I demand that power as your gift, as my right so that I may abuse that power, use it for evil. This is the type of insanity <laughs> that would take place if salvation had no conditions at all. No repentance, no baptism, no obedience, no faith. Any type of thug or ne'er-do-well could come as they are and enter God's family as they are and keep on abusing people just the way they're doing right now. And except this time they'd be doing it for all eternity because somehow they still receive that gift of eternal life. It would just be endless chaos all throughout the earth and the universe if God allowed those types of people to live forever without meeting any conditions. Another example here would be, I've heard this one before. If, if a father wants to give ice cream to his child, he says, well, we're going for a drive. And if you can behave yourself in the car for a little bit, I'll give you some ice cream. Now, Children generally do not deserve much of what they are given. Their parents love them very much and give all kinds of gifts to them. But obviously, any parent knows that when you give gifts to, their to your children, when they are behaving horribly, it only incentivizes them to continue behaving that way. So as a parent, what you want to do is simply make a condition to 
to receiving that gift. Your child can only receive the ice cream if he behaves in the car. There obviously are common sense scenarios in which the child wouldn't receive the ice cream. If the child said, look, dad, I hate you. If he said that right before you pulled up to the drive-thru to get the ice cream, would you really still get your, your child ice cream? What if your child vomited all over the back seat just minutes before you got to the ice cream parlor? Probably not a good idea to give <laughs> ice cream to your child at that moment. So general good behavior and health of the child would be conditions for receiving that treat. Very simple. When we look at it that way, it's very simple. Now, behaving does not earn that child ice cream. It's simply that a parent wants to give to his child, wants to allow his child to enjoy a small treat, and all he asks is for that small condition to be met. Just a little bit of good behavior. And then the child can receive the gift. Mr. Armstrong continues in this section in the United States and Britain in prophecy, which again is available to you for free at the trumpet.com. The very fact of grace makes necessary God's required qualifications, but it still is an undeserved gift. Obedience does not earn anything. That is only what we owe to God. A birthright requires no qualification. It is a right by birth. So if you're born into wealth, you didn't earn that, but you still received it because of your family. That is not how it works with salvation. We have to meet those conditions. And that is what God's work actually teaches. It's not a gospel of works. It's not about earning salvation. And yet we do teach that there are conditions, repentance and baptism, obeying God, having faith in God. Those are the very small things God asks from us in return for giving us the gift of eternal life. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.